0: Welcome to Helpful Social Work. Social work has the power to change people's lives for the better. This podcast aims to help you learn, think and act with integrity so that people who need social work get help that will transform their lives. My name's Jo. And I'm Jerry and this is our fourth podcast of series five um, where we're talking about what makes
1: a good social worker. So these are the A podcasts. And we're recording this at the start of July 2020 to go out later this month. Um, and every month we're posting a podcast looking at what makes a great social worker. We started in April with the overall ingredients and we're now looking at each of the domains of the professional capabilities framework in England. So last month we talked about equality and diversity and this month it is rights, justice and economic well-being. Um, after this one, we're going to be going into the practice um, area, thinking about knowledge and skills and analysis and then into the kind of impact area around professionalism, contacts and professional leadership.
0: And that sounds really nice when you pack them together like that Jerry. That's that's how we should do it more often. Um because I normally just read them out. But yeah, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> so, how can you contact us? Well, first of all, thank you very much for continuing to listen to us. We're we're very grateful actually and um I personally love the permission that you give me. Um, to talk about things that matter and to know that there's people listening is just fantastic. So do tell us what you think and you can do this by visiting our website, www.helpfulsocialwork.com or by commenting on iTunes or on our Facebook page, Helpful Social Work Podcast. And, you know, we genuinely do want to hear from you. So this domain is rights, justice and economic well-being.
1: And I would have loved to have been around when this was written when the social work task force was happening, we were looking at the capabilities that social workers needed, um, in England particularly, and people were determined to talk about social and economic rights. Um, Mm. So what the domain says is, um, looking at the experienced social worker level, that the aim is to advance human rights and promote social justice and economic well-being, that we recognise the fundamental principles of human rights, social justice and economic well-being that are enshrined in law, conventions and policies, that these principles underpin our practice and we use law effectively in our work. We understand and address the effects of oppression, discrimination and poverty and wherever possible we work in partnership with people using services, their carers and families to challenge inequality and injustice and to promote strength, agency, hope, and self determination,
0: yeah, it's lovely, isn't it jerry? it's really it's it's such a, a fundamentally important piece of work, and um it speaks right to the heart of social work in in my opinion, and the statements in the domain are equally as powerful and i am I make no apology for reading them out because I just think they're they're just lovely, you know. I provide guidance and challenge to others about applying the principles of social justice, social inclusion and equality to decision-making. And the thing about that, guidance and challenge to others, that means others that we care about but also others that have power over us. It's really that kind of, you know, idea that regardless of the cost to us, we will continue to um, provide that guidance and challenge, and I think that's great. Um, I demonstrate ability to interpret and use current legislation and guidance to protect and or advance people's rights and entitlements. And once again, for me, thinking about how we use legislation in that framework is so important because certainly I believe sometimes in children's services it feels like legislation is being used in a more punitive way um, to the people who are on the receiving end of it. And it's really thinking about how can we use all the legislation to focus on protection and rights for all the people involved. I think that's really important um, that we're able to communicate legislative issues to other professionals and agencies, you know, and have really helpful, to- helpful conversations about them and helpful debates about them. I, I think that that's, that's really good, those growing up conversations. Model best practice in applying human and civil rights, providing support to others, and challenging where required. These um, take a lot to live up to, actually, when you really think about what you have to do every day to do this well. And um, modelling it is is something that, you know, being a good role model is something that's really important in social work. Support others to enable individuals to access opportunities that may enhance their economic status. Um, and I hope that we'll talk more about that later on in this podcast. Promote access to independent advocacy. That's even advocacy that is not helpful to us in a way. And by what do I mean by that? I mean sometimes we belong to organisations that people experience as oppressive or difficult Um and I was thinking, particularly when I worked in the disability field, and the parents were frustrated with the level of, of service we were offering. And so, helping them set up an independent advocacy group that then made life very difficult for me as a practitioner was something that was important to do. And so, it's the thinking about how we can help people advocate for themselves um, without worrying about the political or other consequences. And promote and guide colleagues to support strength, agency, hope and self-determination in people using services, carers and families and communities. I support them in raising their own challenges and finding solutions to inequality, social justice and rights violations. I just think that's a really strong statement and for me Jerry i just think that 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 set of standards this professional capability it's going to be stretched to its furthest point at this time in our world because the pandemic that's sweeping the world has particularly shone a light on the inequalities and justices that people face in their everyday living circumstances and widens the gap again between the haves and the have-nots i think that that the pandemic is a really painful experience for all people And and everyone is facing challenges. But, you know, it's like um, I I read this somewhere and I really love the imagery. We're on the same ocean. We're not in the same boats. And some of the people's boats are not a sound. And I think it's always been the role of social workers to notice inequalities and injustices and to try and act on them and to have meaningful action. And And I think that we're going to be called on this more and more. Yeah, and the some of the um,
1: analogies that have been used around um, Black Lives Matter also relate to this kind of idea of extreme inequality. So um, mm. the kind of the imagery around that. So you have, um, there's that really helpful image of um, people trying to look over a wall, but standing on um, the same height things, but being at different heights. So one of them can yep. see over, the other can't. Um, and there's also some really powerful imagery around, um, you know, saying that, um, all houses are important but one of the houses is on fire and so they need mm-hmm. to attend to that mm-hmm. house first um, so when we I did want us also to to just kind of look back and, and um, touch on some other podcasts that have related to this domain so we have recently done a podcast on equality and diversity and there's an also, also a lot of overlap there um, we're putting out a podcast around Black Lives Matter and we've put out a podcast around COVID-19 um, and the ethics relating to that—all um, of those kind of—we'll touch on the, on this, these issues of rights, justice, and um, and economic well-being. Uh, there's also a, there was a podcast that we did in series three, podcast four, beyond decision making, where um, we talked about some research from Joseph Rowntree Foundation about how poverty affects people's decision making, yeah. and it really relates to this idea about applying the principles of social justice, social inclusion and equality to decision making, um, which I think we tend to think about to our own decision making, actually understanding how those issues impact on other people's decision making. Um, This research has really struck me um, and I can't kind of carry it with me now. Um, The striking message is that um, if you grow up in poverty or you experience poverty, it can affect your lifelong decision making style. that your decisions um, may become much more focused on coping with present stressful circumstances, often at the expense of future goals. So you're trying Mm -hmm. to maximise wellbeing and reduce stress now rather than planning ahead, that you also internalise an idea that you're less able to succeed um, and have agency about how your life turns out. Um, And so your choices and decisions adapt to the constraints of your life and also those messages that you internalise, which means that when we come along as social workers and say, um, you need to make really good decisions about the future um, and about how to thrive and about how to promote your wellbeing and economic wellbeing and, and uphold your rights and all the rest of it, we're, we're working with people who have had massive stress on that ability and mm. we really struggle. So so that that I think is, is quite um, an important podcast that we did to kind of just go back to.
0: Yeah, I, I think you're right, Jerry. And and once again, I would say, particularly now, and I always think about it. Um, for me, it's uh, something my son has taught me. Actually, is about how much bandwidth you have in your life to manage or receive messages or even do day to day tasks, and that you know your bandwidth is compromised or made smaller by the pressures that are on you. And so sometimes for the people we're working with, their bandwidth has been pushed to this tiny, narrow feed, and we're trying to push some really difficult and different concepts through that. Um, and it can feel like white noise, not not touch the edges or or be an additional stress, actually, yeah, because can... they, they know they, they that we want them to do something, but actually they don't have the bandwidth to manage all of that
1: and also when we um, go into the the recession that's already starting um, because Mm. of COVID-19 and the the stress that that will put on people's rights and their economic well-being some of the solutions that are are, are traditionally proposed particularly by an ideology that kind of thinks about individual agency are well you know pack up your stuff move to a place where there's a job you know get on the bus and go find a job Um, get on your bike all that kind of stuff, yeah, and that's that's putting additional stress on um, on people who are already experiencing stress. Um, you know, I mean, there's there's lots of research, isn't there? And, and some some people would have experienced this um, when you don't have a job, when you're looking for a job, when when you're in debt, when there's pressure. Um, it's one of the most stressful kind of situations you can be in life, and then to to put everything. On you to change that, but it's not your social workers would be absolutely looking at what the the circumstances around a person can be that would help them to get move on from that situation.
0: yeah, it's all of those systemic factors, and also too, the thing that that makes me think about Jerry is the the need for kindness, just good old fashioned kindness. And how if we can be kind to each other, it will be helpful. And I know that sounds really kind of simplistic and I'm not suggesting it fixes everything. But, but there is a real need for kindness, tolerance and compassion at the moment. Um, well, at all times, really. Yeah, Recognising uh, the
1: impact on, on people's identity of not having an occupation, not having an income, mm-hmm. not having economic well-being um, and how much that can undermine your sense of self and your dignity.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And we talked about poverty actually uh, also in the past. I mean this this is this has been a recurring theme for us I think. And that's no surprise really because rights and justice run through everything social work does. It is our, our golden thread. Um so it's unsurprising but series for 2 be, we did a podcast on poverty, and we talked about the link between poverty and rights and social justice, and there's been some really good work done by the um, Joseph Roundtree Foundation on what causes poverty in the UK, and they named a number of factors, um, um, unemployment and low-paid jobs, we've just talked about that. So jobs that lack prospects and security, zero-hour contracts, um, low level of skills or education, we know the link between education and poverty is is quite strong. And we also know that um, if, if you kind of get behind the queue too far, you seem to spend all your time trying to catch up. Um, and that's something that we should be thinking about right at the moment too, because COVID-19 in this country has meant that a lot of our kids have missed a significant amounts of school and education. And we don't know what effect that will have on them um, at different stages. And we do need to be, very vigilant and interested in that impact for um, the young people that we work with. An ineffective benefit system, um, high costs of of everything, (laughs) discrimination and abuse, trauma and chaotic lives, all chaotic lives. And when I looked at this, I kind of focused on that last factor because I thought, oh, that's interesting. That's the one that is often associated with personal blame rather than seeing it as one of the looping factors that keep people trapped in a cycle. Um, it's sometimes comfortable for the public discourse to be about these qualities of what makes the person poor and us not poor. So, you know, because we're stable, because we have a good job, because we've got a good education, because, you know, attributing all of those good qualities to us like they were of our own making um, and attributing the abuse, trauma and chaos to the other people as if they were of their own making. And so, but the majority of factors that the um, foundation identifies are actually systemic factors rather than personal ones. Yet sometimes I think in Social commentary, the last factor is the one that receives most of the time and attention. And there's an idea that if the individual is fixed, that will fix the problem. Yet the problem is much more about the system than the individual. And for everyone who fights their way out of experiences of abuse, trauma and chaotic lifestyles, there's a number of systems factors that will continue to play out for them such as low-level skills and education that leads to jobs with poor job security, which which leads to them being more vulnerable in this pandemic, which means that they have to expose themselves to going out and getting work where they're not safe. Um, you know, all, all of these things play out all the time, and I really think that we need to, as social workers, always be hunting the system, not hunting the individual. Mm-hmm. Let's kind of hunt the system help the individual rather than the other way around and I think sometimes social commentary gets that balance quite poorly. Um, So if we look at um, the World Bank's Voice of the Poor, uh, it was based on research with over 20,000 poor people in 23 countries Um, and I really recommend that people go and have a look at this research. Both um, the Joseph Roundtree Foundation's research is fantastic and this is a really good read as well. And, you know, what people said, um, uh, uh, their experience of poverty included abuse by those in power, disempowering institutions. And for me, I've been thinking a lot about this disempowering institution stuff because social work can be part of that, can't we, if we don't approach working with people with their dignity and their rights and – their efficacy in our heads. So if we approach them as if they're somebody to be pitied or helped or propped up or any of those kind of um, paternalistic or um, kind of superior, inferior mindsets, then actually you can experience helpfulness as disempowering, I think. Um there was also just a uh, lack of security um precarious livelihoods, weak community organizations, problems in social relationships so there's a whole list of of things there that people of, of factors that people experience um that we need to be really vigilant for when we're when we're working in the social work field
1: and I think the um that link between social and economic disadvantage or kind of constraints um, barriers to economic and social well-being and the loss of rights how they mm-hmm. how they play out together is is really important so if you lose your rights you can experience social and economic disadvantage if you experience social and economic disadvantage you can lose your rights um and we have seemingly a very solid human rights foundation in the united kingdom we have human rights act which says that um, all public bodies have to follow the European Convention of Human Rights and the articles within that. And um, so they would need to be upheld by social workers in statutory roles. For example, the right to life, the right to freedom from inhuman and degrading treatment, um, respect for family and private life, liberty, um, uh, not not discriminating. Um, and we also have additional kind of conventions that we support around the rights for children, for disabled people, for older people. But there's a big difference between theoretically having rights um, and Mm. being able to exercise them and the barriers that that people experience to exercising their human rights um are also things that social workers need to attend to so for example you've talked about if you're in poverty um you may not be able to uphold your private life and your family life you may not be able to visit people you may not be able to communicate with people Um, And one of the things that we also need to attend to is the reaction to people exercising their rights. Um, So I read a a really um, powerful book by uh, Professor Carol Anderson called White Rage, which was about civil rights in America and that as black people advanced their civil rights, there was a white reaction to that, Mm. um, which undermined their ability to exercise those rights. So for example, you got right to, to vote and then um there was lots of interference with election boundaries. So that and and barriers put up to people going to vote and barriers mm. put up to people being able to register to vote and all these other things. So um it's not even that people experience difficulty in exercising their rights. It's that sometimes there's active um tampering and and yes. Um, Workarounds,
0: Jerry. Workarounds. Yeah, yeah. the laws. The law's there, but this is the way we can bypass it, or or still do do what it is that we've always done. Um, and and I think that's right. I think that a lot of the things that are talked about um, in those excellent documents and in the UN um, Human Rights Act is um is is not always possible for people to access. And it's something that we have to think about.
1: And I just wanted to come back to the word justice as well. Um, mm. We have talked previously about Rawls' theory of justice. Yeah. Recognising that this is quite a um, global Norse concept, um, I do find it quite helpful because what Rawls talks about is two fundamental principles of justice that would help to guarantee a more just society. And because the concept of justice is so contested, it is quite useful to at least start with a kind of an idea of what that looks like so that you can debate. And those principles, the first one is that um, everyone has the right to have the most extensive liberty they can have compatible with the liberty of others. So my freedom extends as far as possible so long as it doesn't conflict with your freedom. And then the second principle is about social and economic positions, that they need to be to everyone's advantage and open to all. Um, So essentially nobody's Advantaged at the expense of others. And that relates back to the idea that we have talked about before from this theory of justice, which is that if you set a prevail of ignorance and ask people what kind of society they would like, they would hopefully choose a society where wherever they ended up, they would be okay. Mm. So they would put in safety nets and they would put in rights and they would put in the opportunity to exercise those rights. Um, And they wouldn't have people placed in positions where they could dehumanize others. But of course, in real life, we're already in position, um, and so we're asking people, you, know, you're asking people to um, to change things, and that's harder mm. because people have to give things up.
0: That's things right. Dressed. Yes, and I also think that there are certain positions people cannot imagine themselves in, um, particularly if those positions have a negative stereotype around them. So, for instance. The rights of a prisoner. Yeah, that would never be me, kind of thing. Yeah, um, yep. They and must then, have and, done something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then they give up their rights when they decide to commit a crime. There's all sorts of, you know, uh, conversations around that. And so, yes, I think I think it is very hard for us to look at every group. Um, And I was reading a fantastic article today. There's um, a a website called The Good Science, which is from Berkeley University, and it has some really fantastic um, articles around social justice and that. But one of the pieces of work that was done is about how we discriminate on people just by their looks. And it had a whole lot of photos of different people, but homeless people in particular trigger Revulsion and disgust in us when we see them on the screen. So just pictures of people who, um, are uh, you know kind of look as if they don't, they haven't been able to have access to showers or, or good hygiene or any of those kind of things, and who look really vulnerable. Um, it's not compassion that's triggered in us; it's disgust. Um, yeah, maybe. Yeah. And fear as well. Yeah, uh, they've they've measured the micro expressions. Uh, you know they've done this with with lots and lots of people, and I think that's that's something to really think about. So there are groups of people that we perhaps other very strongly. So yeah, it's um it's something to think about, isn't it? When you I love Rawls' work. Um, it, actually, as a sixteen year old, I read his um his work, and it was the first time I understood that justice wasn't how I perceived it from my world. Mm. Yeah, until then, I'd kind of just gone along thinking everybody lived and had the same experiences as I did. So we've
1: talked a bit about um, social work practice, um, that statement, the statements of uh, the I statements, and you've kind of touched on what that looks like. Um, Probably worth kind of thinking about some examples of of that in practice, upholding rights and justice and advancing economic well-being.
0: Yes, um, I, I agree with you. And, and for me, I tell you, when you when you say, "What does this look like? How do we promote and guide colleagues to support strengths, agency, hope, and self determination in people using services, carers, families, and communities?", I I think it looks like trying to help people find a good tailwind. Um, I came across this expression which talked about how people experience headwinds and tailwinds in life, um, but that some people attribute their pace and speed to their own effort rather than to the climate around them so they don't recognise that they've got a tailwind instead of a headwind. And and for me, I think as social workers, we really need to pay attention to the conditions that surround people. And what we're trying to do is to minimise the headwinds people are walking into. So all the things that are pushing and holding them back and making that, that movement forward so hard for them. And we need to find ways to maximise the tailwinds so that the things that actually will actively support them moving into favourable conditions, such as getting stable housing, um, being able to have jobs that they value, that actually give purity. Um, being able to predict what will happen to them. I think one of the biggest things for me is that when you become very vulnerable, and you need lots of support from the from the government. And from social work and from other people, you lose a sense of your agency, don't you? Because all of a sudden, you're always waiting for other people to give you things, tell you things, take you places, do things, make things happen. And so that kind of ability you have to move through your day with choice and predictability is very limited And and I think that one of the things that you can do as a social worker is you can work with a person about what their week and month is going to look like. Mm. So, you know, these are the things that we're going to tackle this month. Tell me a little bit about what you hope to do each day this month. How can we fit the things that you want to do each day in with all these other things? And how can we make that feel like that's your life that you own? Because I feel sometimes people are are sitting there thinking that their life is not their own to live. They're just enduring the support until something better. It's like they're enduring the headwind. Um, And we really want to give them a good context and a good frame for them to think about what control they can have over their life. And I guess I've thought about this particularly because COVID has put us all into that experience. So when we were told on a day that we should stay home, on that day, all of us were in a headwind and we actually didn't know what the next week or the week after would look like. We started relying on government briefings to tell us what to do next. We were watching the news much more than we ever had before, and it really changed our our conditions for life. But for I think sometimes that's what happens for people when they encounter, um, you know, local authority or social work or other events that take that away from them. So what I'd really like to see is that is us – really paying attention to agency, hope and self-determination by helping people have as much say in their day-to-day life and the things that they want to do and actually helping plan and schedule that out and fitting ourselves around their way of living rather than making their way of living redundant and them having to fit themselves around us.
1: And I was just thinking about some kind of examples from people I've talked to recently. So these are just things that um, kind of came to mind about how people are trying to uphold rights and justice. Um, So securing benefits for people is is one example. Um, Helping people get loans through a credit union so they're not Mm -hmm. getting into debt um, or danger helping um to mentor people find people for mentoring so you can there are schemes to help people who maybe wouldn't get to university um or had don't have someone to um as a role model who's been to university there's be, um, there's mentoring schemes for work on there um and for Ooh. careers um something that i found when i was a social worker that really surprised me is that if if you write a letter that yes. sounds quite formal to um to people whether it's about a complaint or about a debt or about say for example someone's not paid their, um, their electricity bill people do very often respond favorably um, mm. so there's a kind of a right that comes with some confidence some education um, that that we can definitely empower people with um, and then there's all the campaigns that, um, that social workers are involved in and one of them that I um, thought I'd mention is the the um, campaigns about no recourse to public funds um, so people mm-hmm. who have no recourse to public funds because of their immigration status can find themselves absolutely destitute um, with no rights, economic well-being or indeed justice. So, um, yeah, those those are just kind of some areas. And I suppose the other thing that sprang to mind is that this is community social work, isn't it? When, when you're doing this work well, it's empowering communities to find solutions themselves, to support one another, um, to... to advance their own rights.
0: Mm. It's hard to think of somebody having absolutely no recourse to public funds at all, like no recourse to any funds at all. It's like what what do we expect people to do under those circumstances is, is what I always think about. Um, what what helps us be able to do this work? Because this is this is the big stuff for me this is this is how we have to be and what we have to think about all the time and for me one of the biggest things is is educate yourself educate yourself educate yourself you know take Oh, there's so so many marvellous resources and articles and institutions out there that you can read things about and that you can think about and we need to keep doing that all the time and we need to be really curious about the impact of um, poverty on households. Um, I um, subscribe to the Office of National Statistics um, and so I get the emails about the different impactors of um, COVID, on, on um, jobs, on income, on family living, on society and those things. And it's really helpful because it keeps making me think about the people that I'm working with and about the people I live next door to and about me and you and and the impact that there's going to be. So I think knowledge is, is huge. Um, connections. Don't be afraid to reach out to people and to be curious, I think, and to have hard conversations with people from all walks of life and all experiences and make as many connections and contacts as you can because we know that the more diversity and the more richness and the more viewpoints we have to see the world through, the more calibrated and helpful and sensitive our our response can become. So and I think that we want that courage most definitely. Um, it's actually not easy to do the right thing and particularly as a social worker because sometimes the organisations we work for will ask us to do things that are not in the best interests of the people we're working with, um, that are more about resourcing, more about um, – Economic stresses on the on the authority, and I was um, do, offering some supervision to someone the other day who who um, went to bat for a young boy of sixteen who was um, going to be made homeless and who had lots of needs, and she was asking for a quite complex placement package, and was told that um, that we'd miss the boat with this young boy, and that actually we weren't this money, what this wasn't a good investment. Um, and she had to stand up against the director of that organization and really challenge them on that um, and got herself into into quite a deal of trouble really um, <laughs> over that. But when she talked to me, went back again and had another go the next day and I think that's the thing. It's that courage to kind of keep the focus on the person that you're meant to be serving and to keep coming back and back and back and back to stand again, I guess, on behalf of that person, even if you've been told that you need to keep quiet. Um, handing over the power, yes, um, instead of seeing people as um, objects to be rescued or um, us being what the saviour or the advice? angels or, they're, they're or recipients. Of them. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah actually start to see them as powerful individuals who have actually survived tremendous things that we couldn't maybe begin to think about or that would cause pain and grief in our own life in a way that we wouldn't know how to how to respond or react and that they have that power of survival that power of their own story the power to to actually grab agency and live their life um and our job is to really look at the systems and 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 the, and the headwinds and tailwinds as i've said um and to help them use their own power and then the last one not judging oh jerry you know something this is my this is my latest thing so you know how i always have a thing my latest thing is you know realizing i'm a lot more judgmental than i really want to be <laughs> um and and you know and how quickly it comes at you and then and then you know you can and then you kind of go no 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 but the fact is it's there it's there and trying to find a way to accept people as they are and to look for it and to just know not even look for it but to know there's inherent value in another human being simply because of that because they are a human being um and to live that i think is quite tricky um, and so all together in dignity did a video about poverty and dignity. And one person said, poverty is having to be better with my kids than anyone else because someone is watching. And I, I think that's one of the really key things is that when you are re- the recipient of a lot of helpfulness, you're also the recipient of a lot of judgment because people are watching you all the time and you know that I work with Annie um, uh, from uh, Surviving Safeguarding and she said to me once, when a social worker asks you a question, hundreds of answers run through your head because you're trying to pick the right one that they want that will do the job that you need it to do. So. You're kind of trying to second guess what they want as an answer the whole time. And that's really tricky. And she said, and that's for even for very simple things. And, um, Annie did a lovely blog on COVID-19 for altogether and dignity. And, um, if I could just read that out, you can't dismiss the impact of poverty on a parent's ability to function when your kids are hungry or when you can't afford heat. You can't fix it just by playing with them. It helps but it doesn't fix it. We don't set out to live in substandard housing on a rough council estate with only 50 quid a week, choosing between gas on the meter or food. No one chooses that. But there's an othering of struggling parents who are deemed not good enough by people who have nice, worn homes and a decent income. There's a lot of pressure put on social workers to react. Social workers want to be reflective, but they have to firefight. They can't always do the job they set out to do, particularly at the moment. The expectation is that parents will be able to demonstrate sustained changes in a confined time. But that's such a big ask, and even more so during during a lockdown. And I do think that her points are, are so useful for us to remember, and I've been working with a lot of social workers who are struggling to do their jobs during lockdown because they're struggling to parent their children. So sometimes often
1: struggling with income as well. Um, Social workers aren't immune from economic hardship and difficulty upholding rights. Yeah. Um, And I think Annie's very perceptive, isn't she, of of, very empathetic towards social workers Um, and is, is essentially asking for that recognition of, Humanity and dignity mm. um, but yeah the 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 kind of awareness of of how much we're asking of people,
0: yeah right now
1: um,
0: and go back to that decision making framework and think about their bandwidth, think about all our bandwidth, think about social workers' bandwidth, you know I'm working with social workers who have just such tiny bandwidth themselves at the moment, and then you know, we're expecting that they'll be able to manage to uphold this standard. And and yes, we are, we are and we hope and, and I'm sure all social workers expect it of themselves. Um, but it would be good to think that good supervision, good space for reflection and good professional support were playing their part in um, helping people uphold this standard.
1: Yeah, and I think it is really valuable and necessary for us to think about not just the how much there is to do, but also how much is done. Um, mm-hmm. So mm. the, we talked about hope, haven't we? Remaining hopeful by reflecting on the the difference that social work can and does make. Yep. Um, and the reflective questions um, that I've written—they're actually they're huge questions, um, but they, they are they are worth reflecting on. I think. So how do I see my role as being about advancing social and economic rights, and what does just social work look like? And I would say that just social work probably starts with hope.